The cliche has always been that Africa is a potential that has lived below its expectation. It's a story told of how a continent abundantly flown with the proverbial milk and honey still wanders in hunger. Yet the African story is not all about gloom. Africa is also a story of brilliance, inspiration, global breakthroughs, innovation and invention, of living hallmarks of a story that is rarely told. A story of an Africa that is changing, an Africa that has changed. Hello, my name is Isaac Kodyo Abwa, entrepreneur, thinker and writer. And here, on the Change Africa podcast, I bring these stories to life. You're going to have up-close and personal conversations with the change makers leading Africa's transformation. Um, it's going to be about saving the mother and child in Africa, um, maternal, neonatal mortality, as well as infant mortality in Africa. So yes, um, to just give a context about the general conversation, maternal and neonatal mortality uh, remains one of the um, highest cause of highest problems. I mean, most persistent problems in Nigeria. I think accounting for almost ten percent of all maternal deaths worldwide. Um, Nigeria's case, particularly, and in northern Nigeria, for example, um, we have a very high percentage of um, women dying. I think about thousand people die for every 100,000 um, deaths. So, obviously, this is a very high incidence. Um, if you go to Jenko's case um, website, for example, they reference a quote saying that, um, according to The Economist in 2013, The Economist said that um, Nigeria is probably the worst place for a child to be born. So, this raises a lot of concern around the safety um, of childbirth and the longevity of children when they are born in their first um, few days, few um, they say yes. Um, here to have that conversation with me is Olumide and Afam. So starting from Afam, Afam leads Jianko. Afam is going to talk to us about Jianko, but Afam is um, a Stanford trained lawyer and also went to Harvard, um, left all of those disputes and, and, and decided to focus on building a foundation um, that was inspired by his father's dream to make sure that we can get quality access to healthcare in Nigeria and across Africa. And Olimide is a specialist um, pediatrician and also built for Breath for Life to help solve this particular issue that we're going to talk about by training people and um, giving some other kind of services. So let me just start off um, by allowing Olimide and Afam to introduce themselves and what they do. So if you can kindly, please, Olimide, Tell us about what you do at For Breath for Life. Yeah, thank you, thank you, Isaac, for this um, for this uh, lovely opportunity to talk about uh, something so uh, near and dear to my heart. Uh, so yes, I um, I'm a I'm a pediatrician, uh, a pediatrician by trade by trade, uh, trained in Nigeria, but I'm now. I was previously having an American experience. Now I'm having a Canadian experience. <laughs> I um, so I I take care of children from birth to when they're 18 years old. But I've had uh, a strong passion to 
to serve in Nigeria and to to make a difference uh, because of the harsh harsh realities that uh, that exist. Our organization is called uh, For Bread for Life, and the premise of the name is we we want to breathe life into every dark and dead situation, and that's really what it's about. And we we train healthcare providers in Nigeria. And in addition, run some humanitarian programs. And in particular, we have a, a strong interest in building bridges of collaboration amongst allied organizations so that we can actually bring a change to the, to the problem at hand. So I'll tell the audience three, uh, three important things. And um, uh, some of what Isaac has alluded to earlier. Number one is that Nigeria has the highest under five mortality rate in the world. Number one. Number two is that Nigeria uh, previously had the second highest infant mortality rate, but uh, based on more recent data that will be coming out soon, Nigeria now has the highest infant mortality rate in the world. And on the represented estimates, reflecting that more than 1,000 babies, 1,000, more than 1,000 babies die in Nigeria every single day. I'm not talking about one month, I'm not talking about one year, 1,000 babies a day. And then the last, the last statistic I'll give you is that we have the second highest maternal mortality rate in the world. And based on how things are progressing, Unfortunately, we may become number one in that area as well. And there are a myriad of reasons why that is so. And what we try to do is to uh, bring about a change so as to save more lives. And uh, we, you know, we'll talk more as we as we go along. Uh, Alpha, I'm over to you. Thank you, Doctor. And my name is Alpha Nyema. As has been said, I am co-founder and CEO of the Jinko Foundation. I'm first-generation American, a Nigerian-American. My parents born and raised in Nigeria. My father went to a British boarding school in Nigeria, and it was there that he was inspired by a missionary doctor to not only become a doctor, but to make a pledge that he was going to use his medical skills, use his ability to rally people together to do good for his community. So even if he left the country, as of course many people of that generation did, he promised to come back one day and save lives, transform lives. Um, So we were, we were, I have three siblings and we were born and raised in the Chicago area. Hearing about this dream of my father's and for me it just really resonated in terms of something I could do to make an impact in this life beyond being financially successful or culturally relevant or politically powerful, as important and as, as meaningful as those things can be. Um, so as, as Isaac mentioned, I graduated from Harvard undergrad and Stanford Law School and, and turned down my, my corporate law offers in order to create this foundation. And we do a great deal on both the health and education side, but because my father was and still is an obstetrician gynecologist maternal health and infant health are central to to what we do to what we believe in 
to the core of any community, any society. Um, there's nothing more important than mothers delivering healthy babies and seeing those babies grow up to full adulthood. There's nothing you can do in education. There's nothing you can do when uh, for for economic development or fighting corruption or what have you if women are losing children in childbirth or losing their own lives in childbirth. It devastates a community. Um, and, and so we do a variety of programs. We started a Clinton Global Initiative program several years ago to screen and treat mothers, but also um, women who aren't pregnant and children for anemia. Nigeria has the worst anemia problem in the world, and it causes a great deal of mortality in the country. And so we started this pro uh, program where women get screened with these non-invasive, easy-to-use, handheld scanners and if they are indicated to be anemic we help pay for care for those who are severely severely anemic women in their third trimester of pregnancy and help them get through their pregnancy safely and we've started building maternal maternity centers we're really excited about this so in rural nigeria we built these uh, mobile maternity centers where women who are seen by traditional birth attendants so not going to formal hospitals or clinics but a majority of women in Nigeria actually are treated and seen by traditional birth attendants and so we work with these TBAs as they're known to help advance their skills give them the proper technology and training so that you know you can tell a woman you know go to a hospital go to an official center and try to change that behavior or you can go where they are and say okay well you're going to these tbas we're not going to fight you culturally culturally on that but let's at least get these tbas trained well so they can recognize certain issues so they have the the equipment and the supplies and education they need to help ensure safe outcomes so um that's been our commitment to mother mother and child and, and then on the education side we give scholarships to to girls who are victims or have been victims of terrorism and gender inequality so that's i consider that also a part of of saving um saving children but i know we're focusing on the health part here so um for for that purpose that's that's been our program okay thank you very much afam for that introduction so if you're in the audience and you're wondering what we're talking about if you just joined we're talking about um saving the mother and child in africa in the context of maternal and child mortality in africa and how that's a very pervasive problem um we just had introductions from my farm and on every day um you're free to um, pin other people in the room if you um, think that this conversation will be very important um, to them. Um, I know some of you may have raised your hands. I would give you the opportunity to ask questions later on in the conversation. So kindly um, exercise patience for me and then we'll bring it um, there. So Olimide, I just wanted to ask you, following from what you were the foundation of the argument that you're trying to build. Excuse me, Afam. Okay, following from the argument that you are trying to build, how important is it for us to find ways to um, divert these statistics, right? And find ways to change the narrative around dying children and dying mothers, particularly in some of the um, remotest and rural areas in Nigeria. Uh, 
Yeah, th thank you, Isaac. So, um, for Bright for Life, like I said, uh, trains healthcare providers, and uh, over the years, um, we've we've trained thousands of providers across. Uh, in particular, uh, we've worked in Lagos State, in Edo State, in Ogun State, and also in in Ondo State. And um, uh, in in addition, in addition. Um, we also do some local support wherever we see some good things happening, like supporting orphanages as well. Now, the premise is that you just have to ask yourself, uh, what is the value of a human life? I'll tell you a, a story. There was a time where we were going to conduct a training session in uh, somewhere in Ondo State, and we were going to work in a rural area. Uh, in the northwest uh, part of the state. And I was going there and I, re I reached out to someone who works in a, a big uh, hospital in the area. And I said to him, I said, well, I'm going to be in your state. We're going to be doing some work in this area. It would be great if you could join us. When I mentioned the place to him, he said, why are you going there? That place is a village. And I, I, I reflected, and I always remember that, uh, that, that statement that he made. And so that the premise is that, is it that the value of someone's life in the rural area, uh, someone's life in some uh, remote village in uh, Akoko, uh, is that person's life less valuable than the life of the person in Lagos? And also by extension, when we raised all this uh, kind of statistics, like I shared with you earlier, uh, in most, um, I hate to use the word, but in most advanced or civilized or uh, developed countries, those kind of statistics don't exist. So is it that the life of a human being, uh, say in America, is more valuable than the life of the Nigerian child? Uh, the answer is no, because life has an egalitarian value given by the creator of the universe, okay? So that the reason why people are dying at home is because the essential systems to protect and support their lives are inadequate. So it behooves us to raise that standard to where it's supposed to be, using all the appropriate resources available to us. So I, I view it, to be quite honest, as a national emergency. But unfortunately, it's not a conversation that is still uh, center stage, so to speak. But the reality is that if folks like you and I engage in the space, raise our voices, bring our resources, we're able to rise against uh, some of the obstacles that make this sad reality true so that we raise a high level of awareness. So for me, I always look for opportunities to speak because the, for me, the most relevant use of my voice is in speaking to this issue. That anywhere in Nigeria, a woman should be able to have a child and that child should have a birthday. Your birthday should not be your death day. And part of the reason why these things exist is, of course, lack of political will, a lack of a lack of uh, the appropriate health infrastructure, and um, of course, unfortunately, you have folks like me that are now economic 
migrants or economic refugees, like I like to say. But the fact that we're outside of Nigeria uh, doesn't change the fact that we still owe a debt to Nigeria and that we can give back to Nigeria in order to make the system better by channeling our resources towards programs that protect the lives of the mother and child. And what is actually more painful is that the, many of these deaths are actually preventable. So that we, you have things like birth asphyxia, uh, prematurity, infection, jaundice. And then on the maternal side, you have postpartum hemorrhage. There are many places in Nigeria where a woman will have to deliver a child and literally bleed to death. And then in addition, there are so many instances where a baby is born. And I explain to folks all the time, when a child is in the womb, the child does not breathe because the child has no need to breathe. Uh, the transfer of uh, oxygenated blood through the placenta uh, takes care of that function for the child. So the child doesn't need to breathe. But once the baby is born and the cord, uh, and the cord is cut, and the child needs to initiate breathing. Sometimes there's a disconnect in that transition, and then the baby needs to be assisted to breathe. Unfortunately, when that doesn't happen, in many places in Nigeria, uh, the attempts are made to stimulate the baby, okay? And sometimes you hear them talk about spanking the baby and things like that. When those efforts fail, what is left is that someone has to help that baby breathe. And the simplest way to do that is by initiating breathing with a bag of mask. And so you need to have a provider who has the skill set to recognize that the baby is in trouble, uh, stimulate the baby, and in initiate breathing with a bag of mask so that we propagate a program called the Helping Babies Breathe. And in that program, we recognize emphatically uh, the concept of the golden minutes that within 60 seconds of life a baby should be breathing on their own or should be assisted to breathe so across across the country across the country for more than a decade okay the percentage of deliveries that are attended by a skilled birth attendant. And when I say skilled birth attendant, is a healthcare provider that has the necessary skill set to help a mom and help a baby at the time of delivery. So, the percentage of deliveries that are attended by a skilled birth attendant is only 30%. And it has stayed around the same level for more than a decade. So, you can see how, literally, we're, we're being presented with a double, a double jeopardy most times when a woman is delivering. Thanks. Yeah, thank you very much um, for that insightful um, statistics that really show us the depth of the problem. And now um, from something that Olimide said that the government may not be paying a lot of attention at the national conversation um, to some of these issues. 75% of children have anemia and one out of five of them um, the anemia leads to maternal um, death um, but testing for anemia has been very difficult over the years because 
of how invasive it is. However, it is almost only GMCO who allows for non-invasive testing with particular um, technology from a company called Massimo International. Can you tell us about that and why there has been such a barrier to um, testing for a disease that has critical um, influence on the death of children and mothers? Sure, and you're right. Uh, the main challenge with testing for anemia is because, at least in Nigeria and places like it, you have to feel anemic or have issues of feeling listless, having issues with pain in your joints and what have you. You go to a doctor, and if they have the equipment, so most don't have the equipment, or most labs will have broken thermometer thermometers or other ways to you know to measure the blood or test the blood and so even if you have that system where yes all the equipment's in place the expense of having your blood drawn sending it to a lab the lab analyzing your results having it sent back to you the doctor being able to interpret those results and then uh determining what to do with your care there's so many broken links along those chain along that chain that majority of nigerians don't even get tested for anemia and could die from it tomorrow not knowing that anemia was the cause of of their death and so um it's interesting i wish i could say that we we saw that challenge and created this system whole cloth but it really was it was a partnership and, and perhaps that's kind of the best thing for for work like this that you co you go into it with a corporate partner that has the technology and then we have the local reach and so as you mentioned there's this company um, Massimo, which is a medical device technology company here in Southern California, and they made a commitment at the Clinton Global Initiative around 2013 to bring their equipment, and they're called Pronto devices, and they're basically, there's a, a sensor where you, you slide your finger in, you slide the patient's finger in, and it's connected to this device that's a reader and within 10 seconds it can give you your blood oxygen your pulse rate other information and so that whole process of drawing blood taking it to a lab comparing it to other assays and then bringing it back to the patient we're doing all of that in 10 seconds per patient and um so i had conversations with them i was really fortunate in that the head of one of the, the vice presidents of the company was as a longtime friend and jinko supporter and made a commitment to wanting to bring this technology to Nigeria. In fact, they were telling me, you know, we make these big commitments at places like the Clinton Global Initiative and Economic World Forum, what have you, but we realize that we can't fulfill that commitment without a partner on the ground that has the expertise, that has the reach, that has the trust um, that we need to make it happen. And so it was a really great partnership. They gave us the devices and some initial funding and we partnered with clinics and hospitals on the ground, and um, and it was a really wonderful way to to get women to women, women in particular. Uh, at the beginning of the project, we were we were uh, we were treating everyone for or at least testing everyone for anemia. But then we realized that pregnant women were at, were most at risk for for developing complications and potentially losing their lives. You can imagine. With anemia, you're not your blood's not carrying enough oxygen, and so if you're pregnant, you're already stressed. Your, your body's literally stressed as this baby's growing and drawing in oxygen and energy and nutrients, and so you're already um, you already have a, a deficiency. And then the baby comes along, and the, the risk of you losing your life, the baby losing 
kid's life, his or her life, becomes even more dramatic. And so we've been running this program now about eight years. It's grown and expanded. We have some really generous donors here in the United States who fund it year to year. And what I love about it in particular, two things that I'll that I'll say is are that um, we have women come in to get screened and treated and we tell them, listen, you, you're not paying a dollar. You're not paying a Naira, a uh, single Naira for this. You come in, get get tested for anemia. And if you are, if you test, come back and you're severely anemic, we will pay for your treatment. So come back, get your prenatal care, get your vitamins, get your checkups. We will make sure that those are covered. So not only are we making sure that the woman is treated for anemia, she's coming in for prenatal checkups that she would never get if not for this program. Women don't go for prenatal checkups uh, regularly in Nigeria. So the fact that we have a system where, yes, you're coming in because you're anemic and we're checking that, but we're also checking your other issues. You know, how's how's your... How, how are your... How's your heart rate? How's the baby's heart rate? Let's Let's test this let's like get get the get the, uh, the patient in, get the woman in and do everything we need to do to make sure that she delivers safely and then we've also raised the standards and expectations in these rural places i think and dr lumaday certainly i think would agree with this there's this they call it the soft bigotry of low expectations the idea that these women these poor people will take whatever you can give them and they, they don't deserve the very best they deserve kind of whatever the scraps the developed world decides to shovel off to them and i know for us there are other you know we have our our screening centers in various parts of southeast nigeria and of course word travels and and people hear about it and people would women would shift their care or you know the the family the husband would move care to our centers the centers where the the pronto devices are where the Chinko anemia screening program is and at some point i remember at one of the the centers the they didn't have their and, and we also as part of the program we, we supply batteries and if the machines break down devices break down we replace them but there were some there was some uh, slowdown in getting a new device at this one facility and so they said okay for this these three days that's going to take us to kind of get the, the new batteries and the new devices. We're going to just go back to drawing blood. And the women refused. They said like that, we are not going to go through that. We've seen what can happen with modern technology. We can see how easy it is. We see how accurate it is. Um, and so they actually, you know, they refuse to go through that old process. And so their mindset has changed. Um, and we're really proud of that. And they, they have the sense of this is the care that we deserve, not only for ourselves, but for our babies and our and our children. And it's fundamental that if you if a woman is confident that a baby will survive, she will have fewer children. The idea kind of this this um, idea, stereotype of you know, African women having eight kids, ten kids, twelve kids, what have you, is because maternal or infant mortality is so high and so if they're not confident that baby will survive they'll have more children figuring that okay i'll I'll have six kids knowing that i'll probably lose three four or five along the way but as women are more confident that their babies will survive their families are smaller and so 
we're part of that process. We're part of that that evolution. And obviously, with fewer children in a family, more resources can be devoted to their education. Um, they're less of a burden, and and so that's a very important point as well. And if I if I may just add quickly um, um, to what Afam was talking about there, I I remember many uh, quite quite a long time ago when we were going to have one of our first programs, and um, we're trying to make because part of what we do is um, in preparing the program we work actively with um, with folks on the ground. So we had um, we had an opportunity to connect with a with a sitting commissioner for health in the state, and um, we made the connection. And uh, the commissioner at the time was out of the country because the commissioner came to deliver her baby in Canada, and that kind of made me excited because okay, she came to deliver her baby in Canada, so she can relate to what we're trying to do. Um, unfortunately, when the commissioner came back and we finally had a conversation, our response and interest was quite disappointing. And I, and I couldn't believe that as a woman who was able to access the best of care in Canada, uh, she couldn't relate to our responsibility and also the need to address uh, some pertinent needs uh, for, for people whom... Uh, she's uh, quote unquote elected to serve, and I was, um, I, to be honest, I was, uh, I was uh, disappointed. The reality is that there's, um, there's a, I would say, a somewhat lukewarm attitude to, to what is happening in the sense that there, there's almost a a um, a grade, if you may, uh, that is placed on the value of your life so that if you're important you know you can get this if you're not so important if you're not important if something terrible happens to you you know it's, it's less of a big deal that the reality is that even though those things are happening there, there needs to be a sense of responsibility to, to say that we need to change this and oh if lady a died for social so reason and baby b died for social reason that we have to look at the the injustice of it to say that no this is wrong this shouldn't be happening regardless of where they're located and regardless of how uh, how important they are uh, or they or we perceive them to be in in most developed countries even if you were if you were to come into Canada for example and you were a refugee you just got off some boat somewhere. You, uh, the woman is pregnant and needed to deliver. She'll be rushed to the hospital, cared for, no questions asked regarding her capacity to pay, and she'll receive great care. So what we're saying is that, yes, there's some good things happening. Uh, there's some good things happening in Nigeria, but there are too many bad things that are happening that we, we really should not be ignoring anymore. Okay, thank you very much, um, and Afam, thank you very much. Um, you know, 200, I think 25,000 people already screened, um, and a lot more people already checked um, for anemia. And I like how you tie that in into the bigger problem of the overabundance of pregnancies that we have, um, and the children that we have, and, and the, the bigger problem of poverty. Um, 
only minute before I let people start coming on the stage to ask questions if they have any. Tell tell us about the process of training this, these women. What kind of process they go through? And is there, like, if someone was a third party and outsider, the person may ask, okay, if someone is a native um, um, or traditional birth giver, they have not gone through any kind of skills. How many days does it take for the program to train them? And how are you able to move them from just generally being someone who has native skills to being someone with enough um, medical knowledge to um, enable the transition of a better and 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 more, um, um, I guess, scientific process in child giving? Yeah, uh, thank, thank you, Isaac. Um, the... The, the core principles, uh, there are some core principles that we follow. And um, there are different levels of training depending on the cadre of the health staff. Uh, so there's a more sophisticated uh, program, which we call the neonatal resuscitation program, uh, available to doctors, nurses, and whatnot. And then the the... Helping Babies Breathe program is uh, one that was developed by a consortium of uh, international organizations, World Health Organization, um, American Academy of Pediatrics, USAID, and uh, a group of other uh, entities, Leader Global Health. And so based on the problem that, uh, that, was, that was happening in uh, other countries, so the idea was to present a modified uh, neonatal resuscitation intervention and uh, distilled into a curriculum that is simple and easy to understand. Uh, And it has kind of like three modules, so to speak, whereby these are the standard steps you take in the normal delivery. You know, these are the standard steps you take. And then uh, this is when you recognize that there may be a problem uh, then there's another module where things are li- really looking dire. You need to make uh, make certain decisions. So we train the providers on the basic steps, regular basic steps for newborn care. And one of the things that is clear is that many uh, providers need to, for example, have an emergency plan in place so that we, we sensitize them on the need for the emergency plan so that even before we get into the process of delivery, that you're aware that this is how you're going to move in case something doesn't go well. You have a plan for, you know, as simple as what's the means of transportation? How do you get to the next hospital uh, if, uh, if, if there's a problem? So that essentially, uh, indirectly, it's tapping into... Uh, some kind of referral system, and then, and the if the baby if the baby is born, these are the steps you need to take in order to stimulate the baby to dry the baby. If the baby is not breathing, you need to recognize that these are the steps you need to take. And then we 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 also have a skills um, station whereby we 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 help them in the skills uh, for uh, what we call bag mask ventilation essentially using an amber bag to push air into the baby's lungs so we show them how to we show them how to do that how to how to use the uh, the equipment properly and then in the event where uh, 
things are not working out the way they expect, we show them the basic steps to take to follow that. Now, we we don't expect them to have the highest level of uh, uh, medical sophistication, but like I mentioned, we have uh, different levels of healthcare providers. The catch, though, is that the traditional birth attendants actually feel a very, very important role in the community and they often have the endorsement of a large of a large number of the rural community even have greater endorsement than some orthodox providers that being said some of these uh, um, birth attendants do not have uh, formal education and it's even still a source of contro- controversy whereby in some circles uh, it is believed that they shouldn't be trained anymore and that they should be phased out. But you can't phase them out because you've not provided an, an alternative. And and uh, and many of you will be familiar with the saying that says that if the uh, desirable is not available, then the available will become desirable, which is what uh, the, the scenario is playing out. So many of these birth attendants actually can be trained to meet a certain basic level of intervention, giving them also, the next step is giving them the right level of supervision to make sure they are uh, performing within the scope of their practice and to ensure you have the right regulations surrounding what they do and build a pathway to connect them to referral sources so that those can be initiated when necessary so that even in the deepest rural areas, there's some standard that they're that that they're able to achieve. Now, I remember about um, I would say seven years ago or thereabout, we had a group of traditional birth attendants and and uh, we connected with them through a local hospital uh, because we trained doctors in a hospital and nurses in a hospital, and the the doctors and nurses there you know spoke about the fact that. You know, they get a lot of referrals from traditional birth attendants and there are a lot of late presentations and things like that that happen. So what so what they did was they, you know, we now worked in collaboration with them in order to train these birth attendants. And we were, it was my first experience with, uh, with, with that group and uh, this was somewhere in Oakland State. And we were amazed at the level of organization that they had and the level of enthusiasm uh, that they have for training. Uh, we trained quite a significant number at that session. At the end of the session, uh, one of their leaders approached us and pleaded with us that, um, that they had so many more of their members who would really like to have this kind of training and how could we help them to make it happen. And at the time, you know, we didn't, we didn't have... Uh, because part of what we do when we train them, we also now give them the equipment uh, so that they'll be able to, from day one, be able to use them on the field. So they asked us to help, that how can we train the other people? And we decided that because we didn't have enough resources at the time, we decided to see and we suggested to them that if they're able to pay a token amount, and at the time, the, the token amount they will have, uh, they will have paid um, will have represented less than, uh, I would say maybe in the neighborhood of 30% of the cost of the equipment itself. 
and we said that if they're able to put that together that we will cover the we'll cover the rest and then uh, get them trained and you wouldn't believe uh, 200 of them came up with that amount 200 of them and we're able to successfully train and and equip them so that what is beautiful is that our people are enthusiastic and they also they have the capacity to learn and capacity to, to deliver we just need to make uh, the environment this be a little bit more enabling but aside from that there's also a need to improve the orthodox systems that that already that already exist but a a healthcare worker working in a rural area and providing a service is some is something that is critical uh, to help uh, to help the community and we should find all the ways to support uh, to support them Okay, so at this point, um, if you want to ask a question or come on stage, um, you can raise up your hand and then I'll bring you. Um, before that, I would like Afam to tell me, do you, you know, you have gone to all the schools, have high, built yourself ready for the corporate world, having um, ignored the opportunity to have done that and probably uh, achieve a lot of monetary success. How does this kind of life towards, I guess, what you, what I would call purpose, feel like for you, and what has been the most, um, the most inspiring times for you, but also the most lonely times? Thank you. Yeah, it, it certainly, certainly for me, wasn't what I had planned to do or was thinking about doing, going to a school like Harvard. Um, and then even at Stanford Law School, even I was I was informally helping my dad with this idea of Jinko. Uh, you know, we became an official foundation during my my second year of law school, and we did our first medical mission. I obviously I was in school, so I couldn't go, but I helped the the surgeons uh, who ended up doing hip and knee replacements in Nigeria. I helped fundraise and plan for that. And in the end, as I was deciding i knew i couldn't do both well i couldn't juggle a law career and then eventually um and, and when i was when i was going into law school i was very set about what i wanted to do beyond law uh, but i knew i couldn't take that path and do jenko and there was no one to do jenko outside of me we had no money to hire anyone we didn't have money to hire me um, let alone hire someone outside the family and i knew that if i didn't do jenko it was going to die there was, there was no way to have it go along. There's no way I would ask someone for money to give to that idea, that, that foundation, that charity work when I wasn't going to be there to ensure that the money's well spent. And so um, it was one or the other. And for me, I got up every morning, every single morning, both excited and thoroughly terrified about the idea of doing Jenko. Um, I think that's... I think that's a pretty good place to be in life. I think you should get up every morning excited and inspired and terrified because um, that's there, that means there's meaning in what you're doing. There's there are there are real life stakes. There's purpose in that. And so um, when I made that decision, I wish I, I could say, "Oh yeah, I made that decision." It's been you know all just gangbusters and excitement, and you're this you know you're this really. Um, you have this kind of 
Mother Teresa type thing going on where you just you feel like you're really doing something meaningful. I, I certainly had that, but it was I think people underestimate the nuts and bolts of putting together a, a foundation, a charity, especially full time and especially raising money for it. I, you know, as I, as I mentioned, we didn't have a dollar. We didn't have money in the bank account, let alone a bank account itself when I decided to do Jinko full time. And so um, I spent just a lot of my time raising money and developing connections and reaching out. And um, I'm just really grateful for those who responded. And I want to give a shout out to a few who are in this room. Uh, Sam, who's on our board, and Leo and Alexis, who have been longtime supporters and friends. And um, but it's really just building a family, like like um, the folks I just mentioned, and and the getting getting used to okay with a rejection. In terms of for every no you hear, you're going to hear every yes you hear, you're going to hear so many more no's. And um, you know, if one goes to our website, you see a lot of fancy names. You know, Oprah was one of our original donors and Charlize Theron, Jimmy Kimmel, the Oscars and all that kind of stuff. Um, but you start with just your friends. You start with kind of the person you went to law school with, to college with. You put a board together. You know, you, our family had to kind of get on, get on the dinner table and figure this thing out. So um, in the end, I, I look back on that and value those challenging moments, those moments of will this thing actually have a moment of lift? Will this thing actually have escape velocity and and become an actual thing? And you can look look at it now again and, and think it's inevitable, but it certainly wasn't when you know we were a month away from you know me not being able to feed myself or pay rent. You know, in terms of uh, of doing this work, and and so I'm just really 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 blessed by those who have believed in it from day one those who have come on board and sacrificed their time their resources to do it and that to me i had two great joys in this work the first is that jinko family of supporters those people who give money they don't have to give um people who give time and effort those who open doors for me that led to just really amazing uh situations and places and people and then the people on the ground, our scholarship girls, the patients who receive new hips and knees, and in this case, the women who are who are treated for anemia, women who deliver safe babies, the traditional birth attendants who we give new clinics to, and you see just the the undignified hovels they had to they had to bring life in. Like I, I look at some of these pictures and. You know, I'm sure all of you or, or many of you have baby pictures that your parents kept. And you see, oh, this is we brought you home from the hospital. This is, you know, these are your first moments of life. And I've seen pictures of some of the first moments of life for some of these Nigerian women. And it just, it cracks your heart in pieces because you see, like, just the undignified way life is entering this world in Nigeria. And if I could play some small role, some small part in giving dignity to that first moment of life, then I'll, with joy, do that the rest of my life. So that, that to me, is the most inspiring thing, is, is bringing dignity to these women and these children and trying to give them the futures that, 
that they deserve, that God intended for them, and just playing a role in empowering them however I can. Thank you very much, Afa. Um, I hope that inspiring message is able to move the needle for someone who probably wants to take the same path as you. Because we always want to celebrate the um, entrepreneurs and all of that because at the end of the day, they are the ones making the money. But it's literally very sad about people who are dedicating their life. Um, not trying to chase money, but trying to impact the lives of people. I think all your doing is very inspirational. Um, Epic, um, the floor is yours. Uh, if you wanted to ask any question now, that's the time. Hello, Epic. Yes. Yeah, I'm here. Um, yeah, I've actually, um, I came in quite when the conversation started and I've been listening a lot. So I, I want to first of all say thank you for saying that the room and then um, Mr. Olomide and Mr. Fan uh, listening to them um, all true and from what they've said, I think they've really contributed a lot, especially in the um, Nigerian environment. So, it's not our challenge to get in what is needed to um, mothers and child or children. Um, the, the truth of the matter is in Nigeria, there's so many challenges to provide health care for people. So, um, so, um, the government is a big challenge. Um, people in rural area, like you've mentioned, getting um, those uh, um, care to those people, it's, it's really challenging because of bad roads and even just the way people think and uh, of course there's a government problem. But not only that, even people in the urban parts of Nigeria also it's still very challenging to, for them to find access to healthcare and uh, that kind of stuff. And um, as just um, a regular average Nigerian, I was just wanted to ask um, a question about uh, first of all, what Mr. Afram said about um, Armenia. Um, testing, you know, there's all this process of drawing blood to, to testing the blood in the lab, getting the results back, and you do all that before you can even, you know, start going into actionable um, ways of treating the patient. And um, I believe you mentioned about a device that could actually get all that done in 10 seconds. And I was very proud to hear something like that. And then also Mr. Lumende talked about um, some of the challenges, especially of the example of the, um, one of the uh, ministers he talked about and how that was disappointing. So um, what I want to say is with all these opportunities available in the modern world and um, with the disconnect, like there's so much that could be done for people in rural and urban Nigeria because it's possible to do it because we've, we've really solved many of these problems in, in the modern world, but still yet, because of all the challenges, it's still hard to get these available resources to people in urban and especially in rural Nigeria. So my question is, how can regular folks like us, you know, who are passionate about seeing change, what, what, what's could be our contribution, like specifically what can we do? Because there are still people who are there to help, people who want to see change happen. So I, I want to put this question down to uh, both of you guys, Mr. Olympia and staff. Um, you know, some of us have not a lot of resources, but, you know, some resources. What can we do to 
see this change happen, you know, to really affect people's life, you know, in, in these ways, especially, you know, when it comes to saying about this training and providing these devices, you know, what could really be our contribution of embracing that disconnect I just talked about?
we know I know some folks who are doing some great work. You can help with connections with people who have influence. There are so many ways that uh, that uh, that we can help. Uh, um, our website is www.forbreadforlife.org and you can check us online. But part of what we bring to the table, uh, which is so important, is that there's a level of accountability and transparency. You know, um, many, most found, most of this, most entities start from very humble beginnings. And um, um, we started from humble beginnings, but we just had the resolve that we needed to do something. We didn't want to wait till we had a million dollars in the bank in order for us to do something. We just came together and started to work, put the little we had uh, you know, to work, and we still work as vol- volunteers, and I still have a full-time job. And because I talk to many, I talk to people about this all the time, and people say, well, they're busy, they're this, they're that. I get that. But the reality is that all of us are, are recipients of good fortune. I could be a baby born in a village, and of which there was nobody to care for me, and my situation is dire. I could be in that situation. So that for me to be in a position to, to help others it's it's a it's a sense of enormous privilege that so that the reality is that if you were to become a giant it's because you stood on the shoulders of giants and if you become a giant yourself your shoulders must be busy and part of what we try to do is to keep talking about this thing and that this is not something that should be swept under the uh, the carpet i'll give you one 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 quick example uh, there's a lady who I found out about recently. She runs an organization. Uh, it's called uh, Pitch Aid Initiative. And um, and even before I get into that, um, for us at For Bread for Life, we are a four-member board. Four-member board. And the guys that, that we do this together, just unbelievable. The kindest and, you know, and most compassionate people. And the kind of sacrifices they've made over the years is just it's it's just um a truly truly laudable and just really because we care not because of any other personal gain now to pitch aid initiative i found out about this lady and she does uh, a lot of uh, education for women and uh, uh, reproductive health maternal health and stuff like that and she mentioned that part of what they started doing was doing free ultrasound scans for rural women. Their focus is is strictly on rural women. And she was describing to me the level of excitement that these women had to be able to have an ultrasound and actually see their baby through the prism of an ultrasound scan. You know, she spoke about how some of the husbands insisted on being in the room equally excited as well never had an ultrasound scan before you know a scan that many people take for granted interestingly interestingly for bread for life has been in, has, has also um, looked at the issue of being able to render free ultrasound scans for women and to be quite uh, specific you know 
we have we brought in one ultrasound scan into into the country and we're still trying to see how to deploy it um you know getting the staffing for it getting those who will do it and all that but in discussing with this lady we see an opportunity that well this lady is already getting the thing, getting it done um she was she initially started by uh renting a uh, an ultrasound machine every day they had to do the program and then I think they eventually went on to buy a machine from China. Well we, we'll be discussing and what we most likely we're going to be doing is actually making this uh, ultrasound machine available for this lady who is already doing the work and partnering with that because it's such a simple sol you know, simple solution uh, getting the staff to do it and so uh, those, those are just some of the ways whereby if you see something good happening somewhere you know i know it's so easy to be jaded and cynical but let's 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 try and then of course many people have been uh, i would say disgruntled by big organizations that oh you give them their money you give them your money you don't know what they're doing with it and all of that stuff but the reality is that there are also reliable organizations that you can you can reach out to and and it can do do great things together. So thanks for that uh, question. Yes. Sure. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, it's a great, great question. Certainly one that I get all the time. And I'll I'll say you can do one of two things. And one is to find a a challenge that in your particular area, whether it be your your parents' village, your your home village or a school you went to something about um uh something yes you're connected to and just start there start small even if it's just getting computers to a school getting books to a school kind of wrap your arms around a a a, a whether it be a school or a, a clinic and what have you and just start small it could be collecting supplies drugs medications equipment to to donate there it could be getting clothes it could be and we've done all those things for for various schools and clinics and then we've just built up from there but show credibility the thing is everyone wants to build their own school or they want to have their own charity when you can just start small with okay there's this school that's struggling let's see if i can help them or let's raise money to get them a generator or solar power or what have you so you can kind of find that rally your friends around it do facebook fundraisers or find ways where you can raise money that'll have a huge impact and then as dr lumide said you certainly can partner with a jenko with a four breath for life um but and this is something that one of our, our actors has said our actor supporters has said before you have to bring a humility to it. You have to bring the idea of, I am here to serve you. You know, don't come to a, a charity and say, I, this is what I want to do. So help me do it. This is, what can I do? And be ready for that, whatever response they give you in terms of, we need help with, you know, help us raise money online or come to this event and be a volunteer or what have you. Be ready to serve. Um, if you're not ready to serve, then, don't reach out to a charity because the charity job isn't to give anyone um, an experience. And I know um, that isn't the case for many people, but I know certain people are searching for experiences and looking to 
to add, you know, like what can I do that's exciting and how this work is is challenging and very unexciting but necessary. And and, and so I would say to anyone um, who's looking to to get involved in this work that they should they should find something that they're personally connected to and be ready to be of service however that charity needs you to be of service and um, don't look to to stretch them beyond their what they're already doing um, be be a wind in their sails and and be a be a supporter however you can if, if one doesn't have financial resources then spread the word on social media or you know if they need help volunteering back when we're all meeting together again with with um with vaccines and and, and post-pandemic how can you help um how can one help in a in a real sense so yeah no i i i I think that but the the number one thing that i'll leave people with is don't be discouraged you know find a way to to make an impact and and no matter how small it is because it's not small to that to that clinic to that pregnant woman to that child um it's no small thing if you're supporting something that ends up supporting and potentially saving them okay thank you very much um thank you once again um if you have any question um you can use the hand raising button and then i'll bring you stage um again it's g-e-a-n-c-o dot o-r-g genco and for breath for life dot um o-r-g where you can go check up what a farm and all they are doing and then you can donate or if you, there's any other way if you're a doctor you can reach out to them um find out how you can help um i, I wanted to ask you a farm there's so much more that you do I mean, this just slides um, the part about maternal and child mortality just slides what you do. Um, if you can talk to us about, I think, some of the um, other things that you do, particularly around the surgeries that um, has been done so far for people what has gone into it. Um, before, if anyone has any questions, we bring, it, we bring them on board. Sure. Yes, so we we started doing, we started with medical missions before we established our maternal health program we brought uh, surgeons over from the u.s to do hip and knee replacements and so since 2005 we've been doing those missions and we've done seven orthopedic joint replacement missions and then also a minimally invasive surgical mission and we hope to our plan is, is to rotate between you know, do a joint replacement mission one year, do a minimally invasive surgery, which is basically removing gallbladders, you know, removing an appendix that's inflamed, um, fixing a hernia. And um, that was the plan. Obviously, we weren't able to do a mission last year. We hope that we'll be able to do a mission towards the end of this year. And um, and our, our missions are, we're not just flying in, doing surgeries and leaving. We're training local doctors. We're leaving equipment. We're we're partnering, you know, a partnership has been a big, big part of this conversation. We partner with our local host hospital and, and leave them better off uh, in terms of equipment and supplies and resources. So that's a big part of our work. And then on the educational side, we have the uh, David Ayelowo Leadership Scholarship for Girls, and that provides tuition, health care, social support to 
girls who have been affected by terrorism, either orphaned or abandoned or themselves kidnapped and escaped. And uh, we started with four girls in one school four years ago, and now we have 34 girls at four schools throughout the country. So truly a national program at this point. So we're very excited about that and, and really building into those girls. That was the that was the program that Oprah endowed um, early on and has since gotten support from um, lots of other people in, in the acting and entertainment community. And then we do, as COVID has popped up, we've donated PPE. So we've donated over 50,000 pieces of PPE, gloves, face masks, and what have you to frontline healthcare workers, nurses, traditional birth attendants in Nigeria. And then we also donated tablets that were preloaded with hundreds of ebooks to to um, students that were quarantined in our villages. So here in the U.S., it's oh, you know, you can, you know, we're so used to Zoom, we're so used to things like you know the clubhouse and what have you. There, you know, if you're quarantined at home, you don't have you don't have Zoom, you don't have remote learning, you don't even have paper books, you don't have actual books at home. So you're you're literally not learning anything, and that was just devastating to to students. They weren't, you know, they were already behind, and now they're going to get further behind and potentially not go back to school. And so, we were able to provide these internet-enabled tablets that allowed their schools to do some remote learning. They're able to read every day. So, yes, we've, we've really grown our programs over the years, and we're just really incredibly blessed to have generous donors who allow us to to continue to build on those programs and reach and impact more and more lives in Nigeria. Okay, thank you very much um, for that. If there is anyone that wants to ask a question, you can raise up your hand and I'll bring you on stage. If not, I would just like to take final words from Olimide and Afam. So Olimide, um, if you can kindly use the next one minute to tell us something about your work or just anything that you want to say finally in a minute, please. Yeah, um, th- thank you, Isaac, and I, I and I, I thank everyone for um, uh, uh, taking the time. I, I know there are so many other things that um, uh, you all can be doing. I, I, I think from uh, personal experience, um, this is this for me. In my in my own understanding, it appears to me that um, the greatest um, expression of our humanity I will be in service to others in, in service to humanity and I, we all have our hopes dreams and aspirations which are all well and good and um, I don't know if it happens to anyone here but sometimes uh, you aspire to be this or to be that or you aspire to buy this or have that or you want a better house or better car whatever you but the the special thing about being a blessing to someone else who's in a disadvantaged position, I, I think is, it appears to be a gift to the person, but I think is also one of the best gifts um, one can give to oneself. Uh, for me, I, um, I have been blessed with this burden uh, to care for children, women in Nigeria, especially children, and it's a, it's a, it's been a, a great honor and privilege 
it's been challenging but it's also been uh, fulfilling in, in so many in so many ways i i have children of my own and they they don't realize that they are living a charmed life and from time to time i make them understand that the, they should not take their privileges for granted and we i do take my children out on the field as well sometimes when we go to nigeria uh, for them to see that uh, in some situations that you know this is just not the way the way it is and we we had the opportunity last um, last year during covid which was something different that we we don't typically do uh, we found out about a school that was being run by a king, uh, a free school for poor for poor kids, and the story was just so touching. And in speaking to the king, I've never heard of a king, you know, run a school or open a school. And uh, we got in contact with him and spoke to him, and he he explained that one of their needs was for school uniforms, and. Uh, what part of what they did just to make ends meet was that they'll go to uh, they'll go to um, a neighboring university and um, a neighboring university that had a secondary school and they'll get used uniforms from there and clean them, disinfect them, and give to their students. And long story short, we were able to do a small fundraiser, get a uniform maker. And provide uh, almost uh, 150 students four sets of school uniforms, and the joy that those children had—it was like Christmas Day for them, and it was just all about school uniforms. And the reality of life is that, you know, the joy that those children had uh, for those school uniforms may be better than some kid that got a, a, a Nintendo or PlayStation or whatever. But I just want to encourage uh, everyone that you know. The world needs us, and um, you know, just to do, do what we can, uh, and uh, and you will be the better off for it. And, and thank you for for joining tonight, and thank you, Afam, for uh, being a part of the conversation as well. Thank you, Doctor, and thank you, Isaac, and thank you, everyone, for having me and 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 joining us for this important conversation. It was a privilege to 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 be a part of it. Yeah, I, I won't say too much beyond what I've already already said. I think just everyone needs to find a way to be of service. I I, I think there are there are two there are two things in life that I cling to that I, I try every single morning to to live up to and that's be kind and be of service. And I think everyone can can work towards that. There's no need to do something. You don't have to change a, 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 a continent or a country. Um, you don't have to change politics. You don't have to end corruption. Just find a way to, to be kind, be of service. Start wherever it makes sense for you, uh, whether it's starting where you live or it's starting somewhere in, in Africa. Um, I think just find find a need and meet it with kindness and, and be ready to commit yourself to it. Um, we work with the actor Tuatel Ejiofor, and I, I love what he said in an interview when he was talking about his Jinko work and some of the work that he does with education. And he said, really, 
when young actors ask him about being of service, of doing things outside of acting, he says, find something that you're willing to commit to for the rest of your life. And I think there's there's so much what's next, what's the new hot thing, what's the new, I mean, we're on the new hot app right now, what's the new hot app, what's the new hot trend, and, um, you know, whether it's NSARS, whether it's, these are all very important things, but I just, I look at them and I say, like, where are you going to be tomorrow, a year from now, five years from now, ten years from now, and I just feel blessed that I have, I have my, I've, I've kind of, you know, put my, my flag in, in the ground and, and kind of carved my my space in the chaos and said this is where I want to work this is this is where I want to work and and do do my good and be kind and serve for the rest of my life and so I just inspire people I encourage people to to find what that is for them and certainly would be blessed if it's Jenko I'm, I'm biased in, in that way but if it's not find something that you can commit to for the rest of your life so thank you thank you very much Afama Lemide um, this has been a truly inspirational conversation. And I hope that people have learned a lot about the current state of childbirth and um, maternal mortality and also actionable steps that they can contribute to solving that problem, either by supporting um, For Birth for Life or Jinko or doing something on their own. Um, thank you very much. Our very loyal audience for staying around. Um, if you can please do reach out to Olimidena Farm and then talk to them about how you can contribute to supporting their work. Uh, my name is Isaac. I'm the founder and host of the Change Africa podcast, where we give African thought leadership an audience and we speak to some of the inspiring leaders across the continent, um, doing all kinds of things, education, um, financial inclusion, amongst other things. You can definitely check our podcast out follow me and I'm going to have more of these conversations um, so that you can um, join if you're interested in that but yeah thank you very much and hopefully we can have conversations like this to improve the state of healthcare in Africa and generally um, to push the African vision forward so have a good evening and thank you very much for joining and thank you Isaac thank you for staying up If you enjoy listening to this podcast, consider supporting our fundraiser to help us build a mini home studio. This will help us produce a better audio quality and enrich your overall listening experience. Find the link to the fundraiser in our show notes. Special acknowledgement to those who have supported us already. My team members, Gabriel Sakite, our producer and sound engineer, and Nathaniel Opoku, our marketing lead. Subscribe to this podcast to get notified about new episodes every week and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you get your podcast. Join us next week for more thoughtful conversations with Africa's most inspiring leaders. 